everybody, welcome. It's so good to be back with you. This is week five of Straight Out of Context, season two of the FBC Young Adults Podcast. I'm John Lemons, a minister to young adults here at First Baptist Church in Huntsville, Alabama, and joined like I am every week by Sam Maxwell and a very special guest today, my my one and only friend, my best good friend, Captain Joel Patrick Reynolds. Joel, how are you, buddy? It's good. I'm doing really well. I'm glad you promoted me. Um, <laughs> originally, you said I was corporal. Yeah, yeah. But now I'm a captain again, which is good. That feels nice. Yeah, man. So <laughs> that pay bump probably for you. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so Joel is a longtime friend of mine, and uh, we go well, actually grew up on the same street, mm-hmm. and uh, got to know each other when when uh, I was in eighth grade. And, uh, and found ourselves at the same college, same seminary for a while, in Chattanooga at the same time for a while, but grew up together in Northern Virginia on the same street. And what I find really interesting about our story, Joel, you're now in, in Murfreesboro, but your sister and your parents live down the road from me now in Madison right. here in North Alabama. So uh, if they listen in to our podcast, they with you as, well, if they do, though, with you being my guest, it'll like <laughs> double our, our audience. So I hope I'll, I'll send it over to them. <laughs> it, that would be a lot of work. I'd have to explain to my parents what a podcast <laughs> what a, what, is. Like that would be, that would be, it just seems like a lot of work. I could see that. Yeah, that's probably true. And I think it's important, you know, John, it, I appreciate that very generous introduction, John. You said, you know, we found ourselves in different places in life. I feel like it's important to know that I'm older than John, so I was a little further along. John just followed me everywhere, you know? Pretty much he true. followed me to college, he followed me to seminary. Um, he followed me to Chattanooga, and really that's just because I put in a call on John's behalf. That's and right. I was like, there's a sorry, sorry son of a gun. He's not gonna find a job. He's not gonna interview well. Just give him a chance. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and so I've just had to do that with John a lot. Uh, he just rides the coattails, you know? Yeah. But I, I embrace it as your only friend. That's right. I, I did that for so long. That is so true. That is so true. And uh, also, we were we were each other's best man in, in our in our weddings. And that goes very, very long. true. Our kids were born a day apart in the same hospital. Same so we have hospital. a great picture of that. So, uh, so Joel, for, for anyone out there who wants to know more about Captain Joel Reynolds, give us your two to five minute sort of life story introduction to who you are and what you do. Uh, yeah, there, there's there's a lot to the enigma that is Joel Reynolds, you know, I mean, the ins and outs, the ups and downs. But above all, I've been married to Becky for almost 22 years. We have three kids, 18, 15, and 13. So I have all teenagers now, which is heartbreaking um, because teenagers are just mysterious, terrible beings. It's and I'm raising them. They're in my house. Like, we, I, I'm kind of their parent, but really we're just – we're just kind of like dysfunctional roommates, um, but they're all terrific, truly. Um, I, I've been in Murfreesboro for about 10 years now. Ministry's taken me all over the place, started working in churches, and never, ever, even back to like when John and I were in seminary, we had classmates that were doing like chaplaincy routes. Um, they were, you know, I even had a classmate who was a chaplain candidate in the, the military, in the army, and I had friends that were like doing residencies at hospitals and things like that, and back then I was like, what a waste of time. Like, you know, cause Beeson was all about creating preachers. John and I can tell you that from day one orientation, they're like, this institution was to create preachers. Um, and two of the three people on this podcast went to the school to create preachers and we're not really preachers. We're doing other kinds of ministry. But I thought from those people, I was like, why would they go work in a hospital or even look in the military and God and in his incredible a sense of humor and b abundant grace 
has placed me there. And now I can't imagine doing anything else inside of kingdom work than doing chaplaincy. So I've been a military chaplain for a decade now. That was a late calling into my life um, and ended up taking a commission in the National Guard. So I do the one week in a month, two weeks a year kind of thing. Um, and then I, I segued into medical chaplaincy. So my full-time job is I'm a hospice chaplain here in uh, the Middle Tennessee area with a, a very um, a very large, old, but private non uh, nonprofit hospice group. And so I've been doing that for almost seven years now and, uh, and then do the military, uh, work on the side. Um, and I'm glad to be where I'm at. Um, you know, I poke fun at John, but you know, my life has been significantly impacted by his friendship and by his brotherhood. And, um, you know, he truly is, uh, I, I joke that I'm his only friend, but really he's my only friend because I'm just a terrible, terrible human being with a very black soul. And John keeps coming around and loving on me. And for that, I'm deeply appreciative. Well, man, that's very kind. I appreciate you saying that. Uh, you know, you know, it's a two-way street here with the, the two of us. Um, I want to talk a little bit about you because you you got back from a tour in Iraq last year. Mm -hmm. And um, you got back, was it uh, right before Christmas? It's like kind of the November, late October, November timeframe. Yeah. So how, how was that for someone who maybe we've got someone out there that's thinking, you know, I've thought about chaplaincy or um, maybe they've thought about active duty or guard duty or anything like that. Like what was that experience like for you? You know, military chaplaincy is, is one of the greatest things I've ever done professionally, vocationally in ministry um, just because of its organic nature. There, there's a very raw, real, um, way that chaplains interact or can interact with soldiers and vice versa. And it's a really nice place to be. I, I feel like I'm in a sweet spot there. I really cut my teeth in ministry as a youth pastor. And so I always say that military chaplaincy is very akin to youth ministry. Um, the big difference is you're working with teenagers who have you know, explosives and <laughs> rifles and you know all that kind of stuff. They're driving tanks, but ultimately they're kids for the yeah. most part. Um, and so 20, 2020, I was activated, um, in what was supposed to be a, a deployment to Cuba, to Guantanamo Bay. I was with a, a military police battalion and we were going to go and, and work a piece of the, of the prison, uh, work that's down there, the mission down there. And then we were about 10 days into training for that. And they said in the very army way, you're not going to go to Cuba. You're going to go to Iraq. You're going to be, you know, and it was jokingly said, you're going to a place that has as much sand. Um, the difference between nice. Cuba and Iraq is they're both sandy, they're both hot, but the terrorists are kind of on the loose in Iraq where they're not <laughs> in Cuba. Um, but it wound up being um, both a, a, a terrible and wonderful experience. It's it's the kind of thing that I hope I never have to do again. And my heart is truly open to veterans that have done multiple tours in Iraq or Afghanistan or both um, because it's it's a very challenging space to be in, not just for ministry, just to, to for, for same thinking, for, you know, safety, all of those things. And so, um, but the chaplaincy piece in it, it was just so rich. Um, especially we were there in the climate of the pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. you know, we got on ground and I started hearing things that like baseball had been canceled. The NCAA tournament had been canceled. The masters was canceled. And I, I had been on ground in Iraq just for a few, a few days. And I'm like, what is, what's going on? <laughs> like, that's how, that's how, so off the radar COVID was to me because um, I, I was just worried about how, how are we going to stay alive and how do I figure out how to do this here? And so being there in, in a pandemic was 
an, an extra challenge because we had soldiers who were separated from their family and then they're learning their families got it. And this is, you know, February, March last year. It was a lot of a lot of time spent with soldiers, very scared, very worried. Um, we had to do a lot of things on our base to to have interventions in to keep us safe and healthy because, you know, if a platoon or a company all goes down or has to go in isolation, that's a breach in your security. And so we were very, very mindful of that. But on the ministry side, chaplains in the military, you just adapt and, and drive on. We closed the chapel. So we we kind of did it old school New Testament. It was a lot of smaller worship gatherings. Um, we were outside when we could, if we were safe and undercover, wearing masks. Um, but just last week, some memories popped up on social media for me. And I, you know, my Easter last year was in Iraq and I baptized two soldiers. Um, you know, so we see the gospel not persevering, the gospel just continuing to move forward because that's what the gospel does. And we just kind of, we kind of grab on and ride with it. Just like John has ridden on my friendship. He's just grabbed on to my meteoric rise and you just ride with it. But I'm, I, I hope I never have to go back. I will if the, if the army calls. And I was glad to be there with the soldiers that I was with and in the space that I was in. Yeah, man. Uh, it, I remember some of the stories you told me just about military chaplaincy and, and how the, the level of ministry, the, the kind of raw, real ministry that it is, uh, it, it always made me, it's, it's, it's always been intriguing to me and, and, mm -hmm. um, very much am proud to call you a friend uh and and proud to uh to know you and the the heart you have for that and the service you give to our country and to God's kingdom and that and that's actually why we've had you on the show today Joel is to talk a little bit more about that but before we go there um we may have some listeners who would be interested to know uh with our long long friendship going going all the way back to 1993 I believe mm -hmm. uh is there a favorite Joel Reynolds, John Lemon story that you that you I see your face. We're on Zoom. I, I'm going to regret asking this. <laughs> I'm processing. There's many. There's many that aren't suitable for a, a podcast that has Baptist Church on its title. Um, so mm -hmm. I, I have to like, and that cuts out like seventy percent um, of our options here. I, I mean, I could share that one of my earliest memories with John is when he wanted me to uh, to co-rap a DC talk song in our church's service, like a Sunday service that yes. adults went to and we sang <laughs> hymns and had, had preaching. And John was like, Hey, I got this track for a DC. What DC talk song was it, John? I love rap music. I love rap music. <laughs> John, John had the, this was, it was on cassette. Oh, I was like in eighth over. grade, dude. I was like in eighth grade. <laughs> so he, he, you know, I had kind of just gotten involved and I was, you know, I was kind of being, received in and you know i tend to be a bit charismatic and loud and i talk too much and so people just so john's like i want to be with this guy and he was like hey let's do a dc talk song in church on a sunday that has rapping and so i thought i could use that but john john was the best man in my wedding i was the best man in his wedding john decided that when i got married that he was going to destroy my car and he filled it with packing peanuts, <laughs> oh, so yes. styrofoam packing peanuts. And there's this great photo um, from my wedding day where my wife is standing beautiful and elegant, wanting to get into the car. And I'm turning and I'm yelling at John because my wife, my wife couldn't fit in the car because John had filled it with so many packing peanuts. And I turn and yell at him, we can't leave <laughs> because you have filled my car. Because, you know, I mean, I was, I was true love weights to the core. R.I.P. True Love Waits, R.I.P. But, you know, I uh, I was ready. You know, I mean, we we're waiting, you know, and, and 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 John, I had to the <laughs> night, my first night of marriage, I had to 
take the car in my tuxedo <laughs> to a, a car wash and vacuum out all of the packing peanuts. And I completely filled up to the point that the vacuums, <laughs> the industrial vacuums, I filled up three of them and they had to cut off at the place because there are so many packing peanuts in my car. And I finished doing that. And then I turn and I'm sweating. This, this, this was the best part. <laughs> and I get into my car and I turn on the air conditioning and then all of the glitter that John had put into the AC shot out on me. So I had to vacuum the car again because John had filmed with, with that. So I decided when John got married that I was going to destroy his car. He was smart enough to say, I've got, there, it could be multiple cars. So the groomsmen and I actually uh, graffitied up multiple cars. One that said possible backup car. And we put all this stuff on John's car and Yes, he didn't have the glitter. He didn't have to go to uh, an industrial vacuum. But John did get pulled over by the cops because too cool. much was hanging yeah. off of his car. So I think that's one of my favorite stories that I can I can appropriately share on a First Baptist Principal <laughs> podcast. And we had, uh, you put a scarecrow on my antenna. I did, yes. I think that's one of the things that got us pulled over. And then one of the kickers with yours is I'd not only put confetti and glitter in the, in the vents, but in the, in the visors as well. Yes. So when you pull the visors down, it, it came down. Uh, I'll just have, you know, uh, and, and for anybody who who's listening to this, who knows Joel, they'll know this. Um, Joel's well-loved everywhere he goes. So being uh, his best man, the number of people who came up to all of the groomsmen at your wedding who were like, Hey, are you guys destroying Joel's car? I've got stuff for you. Like it was, <laughs> Uh, people just breathe like it's like they had your gift. That. They had your gift, and they had like a box of styrofoam peanuts or something. I mean, it was it was insane. Like we didn't have to bring anything because everybody brought something to to trash That's your car awesome. with. So I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So, but you you did yell at me to, and and I do remember feeling bad at that moment. Up until then, it was fun and it was awesome. And then I was like, oh yeah, I probably shouldn't have done all that. But uh, <laughs> three industrial man. vacuums, I blocked. And up. and and when you did ours, when you mm. did ours. uh you, my, my mother-in-law had to drive home in in a car from, from leaving my reception marked up with, with all the stuff that you guys had done. So yeah. Um, maybe not quite return the favor. So one of my favorite stories, uh, goes back to college. So Joel and I were at Carson Newman college and the time that we were there, they were a division two NCAA football powerhouse. I know nobody in Alabama cares about that, but at the time we were there, I mean, we were going to uh, national championship games almost in Alabama. Year. And, yeah, and they were at the University of North Alabama in Florence. Uh, that's where they were at the time. And so every year we were going down there. And one particular year, I think it was right after you got you got married. It was like the week after that. Me, you, and David Evitz, one of our classmates, went down in my truck. And uh, I just remember, there's a longer story to this, but I just remember us, we thought it would be funny to drive through <laughs> the streets of Florence, Alabama, with you and David in the in the bed of my truck me with all the windows down and we were playing jump around yes do you remember that yeah but we just we, we we made a pact that if carson newman ever went back to the national championship game we would meet up and we would do that every year good they haven't been back since we so. have not been <laughs> so, uh, john and i are fans of long-suffering football teams that is that is correct mm. uh, in fact that that's a, a a trace that we have here we go back to northern virginia sam was in uh northern virginia for a while as well. So our deep love of the now Washington football team. Hailed um, with the Washington football team. That has set us up for, for all <laughs> that. So, well. Doesn't quite slide off the tongue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. I don't know what they're going to do with the song, but anyway, we'll move on. Uh, Joel, <laughs> so glad to have you here. Today, we're going to talk about Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And, <laughs> you start um, laughing as you read the scripture. <laughs> 
<laughs> We're gonna have some astute uh, exegesis happening here. That is that is right, man. <laughs> so. Before we get into, before I read the passage, I want to talk for a moment about you know some of the some of the ways that uh, you know we've seen it commonly misinterpreted so i'll offer some some of mine you guys can can throw some in that you might have seen or, or know about as well i mean oft, oftentimes you'll see this verse reference to something like the national day of prayer um a lot of times people will say well we'll say that america is you know um the second promised land or the, the new israel or, or something like that and then even sometimes you'll see when there's a national tragedy like a hurricane or something like a school shooting or something, you'll see this first referenced. And all of those are ways that it is misapplied. It is taken out of context and are not ways to use this verse. Um, I don't know if you guys have had anything else in mind that you've seen or uh, stories about instances like that. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, not to kind of belabor what you were getting at, but we've had our fair share of, uh, you know, big hurricanes or tra- tornadoes or other tragedies in our recent national history. And I think it can become really easy for people to say, well, this bad thing happened because God is angry or because we did something that God doesn't like. So it's it's God's divine judgment upon us in particular. Um, so, you know, whether you're following mainstream news or just on Facebook or something, those things seem to pop up whenever there's uh, something tragically noteworthy. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah. And Sam hit on one of the things that I was going to say is that we often say it's happened because we haven't prayed because we haven't right. you know allowed it, it but you like john said you you'll often see it around holidays uh, uh memorial day fourth of july um you know we're all doing ministry in the deep south so um, we've all been at or invited to a patriotic service um oftentimes those patriotic services are on a sunday morning as part of i mean that is the service and and that's the verse that that leans in on the National Day of Prayer. See at the poll, you know, yeah. back when that was a thing. Um, so, and then of course, and John can jump in on this. Like some of our earliest parts of our friendship, I worked at a Christian bookstore that was literally called the Jesus Bookstore. Like that's it was right. his bookstore, and I worked there. <laughs> you know, I was like the 14th apostle, I guess, because I worked at Jesus's <laughs> bookstore. And I can't tell you how many shirts, placemats back when you had mouse pads, you know, that had this verse on it, you know? And so it was put on Christian paraphernalia to not only be a reminder of our call to be a Christian nation, but it was also used to, to make a buck as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and a lot of times you'll see it on that sort of thing with uh, an American flag as a backdrop Mm -hmm. or a soldier kneeling at a cross or or something, something like that. Or a soldier kneeling at a cross in front of a flag and an eagle is perched on his shoulder. <laughs> yes. And a dove yeah. is in his other hands. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So the verse in question, if you're not, if you're not familiar with it, is Second Chronicles chapter seven, verse 14. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. So we've talked about that being used in those contexts. You've probably heard it. Those of you listening have probably heard it in that sense as well. Um, One thing I will say, it's really dangerous using it in that sense, because when there's something like a school shooting or a hurricane where there's mass tragic casualties to, to say something like, well, you know, this is happening because we've turned our back on God, or this is happening because we've taken prayer out of schools. Like 
what that is saying is like God is carrying out vengeance on just random innocent people because we're not praying to him enough, which if you think about like mm-hmm. what you're saying there, it's really not a, um, a, a, a great thing to be saying about God or to inspire people to want to pray to him. Um, it's not a picture of God that the Bible paints uh, actually. And so we'll talk about that. And what is it that is really being said here in second Chronicles chapter seven, uh, a couple of things that we've talked about every week going into this, you know, sort of four rules of interpretation is number one, how does it apply to the life of Jesus or the life of the author? Do you see only one translation of this used? If if so, a lot of times that's a clue that it's being taken out of context on the keychain or the mouse pad or whatever that you see it on. What did it mean to the original hearers and interpreting the Bible with the Bible? You know, when you see a passage like this that might be confusing or that's easy to take out of context, look to some other passages in the Bible that help kind of paint a clearer picture of what's going on. So just to give you an idea, we talked a few weeks ago about Jeremiah chapter 29, 11, and how big of a deal the exile was for the Jewish people at that time. And Second Chronicles, actually First and Second Chronicles were one book that was written together, and, it, and the only reason it was divided was because it was so long. But it was written after the exile and after the people come back from their exile in Babylon. And the reason why this is sort of important to understand is the the exile is a, a major a major deal uh, for the history of the people. I, w- I would put it up there and say, you know, if we were around at the time of Jesus, Friday night or Saturday after the cross would have been the biggest moment of our lives up to that point because we would have just been like, what do we do now? And that's sort of what the exile is like for the people because they've been given the promised land, they're in the uh, they're in the promised land. They're, they're, uh, they have the temple. They have the worship of God, and it all just disappears um, in in a generation. It's gone, and so all these promises that they have, they look like they're just gone, and like God has given up, or God has been defeated and turned his back on them, or whatever. And so, as big of a question mark that Friday night or Saturday would have been after the cross, that's what the exile is. And so, this is written after they've come back from that. If you remember the history, the 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 nation divided into into two about. 150 years after that, Israel was deported and taken away by the Assyrians. And Sam made a great point a few weeks ago uh, saying that they just kind of disappeared from history. And so the people of Judah that are left, they get taken by the Babylonians. They don't know if that's what's going to happen to them. So what's happening uh, when this verse is written or what this verse is talking about, it's a dream where God shows up and speaks to Solomon, who's David's son. He's the king after David. And after him is when the nation divides. And what it is, is a promise to Solomon uh, to give to the people that if bad things start happening, that if they are to repent and turn back to God, then he will restore things. And that's what we see happen with the exile. So this is another case where this is something that's descriptive more than prescriptive. And for us, it's descriptive, you know, as prescription that if you do X, Y, Z, then ABC is going to happen. So that's kind of the main context to understand is that the people have been away. They've come back. They've started to... uh, Ezra and Nehemiah are being written at the same time as this, and they've started to kind of turn away again. So this is almost functioning as sort of a reminder that, hey, do you remember what happened last time? If you turn, then God will restore things. And so it's it's sort of both a history, but also, also a prophetic word as well. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not meant for us. It's just it's a, a historical detail that is meant to help the people kind of reorient their their lives back around God and the promises that God has made to them and the covenant and that, that ultimately is going to be fulfilled in Jesus, which we'll come to in just a few moments. So guys, anything that you want to add to that, that I'm, that I'm leaving out? Yeah. So, I mean, just to kind of circle back, I don't think you can bold and underline and like highlight 
uh, after the exile enough, mm-hmm. right? I, I think that's a huge key to understanding the passage. Um, weeks ago, Dr. Still talked about, you know, you can't, um, if you, if the writer did not intend it and the hearers did not understand it in a certain way, then you can't take it in a different way. You have to understand it within that context. So I think to understand this context means to underline and understand that it's written after the exile. We have books, um, we have the whole like Davidic narrative and first and second Samuel leading up into all of that nonsense. And it ends at the end of second Kings kind of talking about, uh, the getting right to the exile and the exile beginning to happen. So some people say, well, um, Chronicles is almost a rehashing of the events when in reality they're different takes on the events, right? right? You have an event, the, the first, second Samuel's first, first, second Kings are happening at a different time where they're reflecting on it. This is happening way after the fact to draw attention back to the high glory days of how good it was when the people of Israel were living in, in line with God, in relationship with God, in the way that it's supposed to be, right? David established the city of Jerusalem, began the idea for the temple. Solomon was, came after David. If David was a pretty big deal, Solomon was an even bigger deal because he built the temple and its glory. Um, you know, it's the height of Jewish culture and history at this time. So the, the author is looking back, having the exile in the rearview mirror, having the height of Israel in the rearview mirror, having all the warnings from all of the prophets over all of the years saying, hey, you need to get it together or else your relationship with God is going to be a little bit different because you're not following God. You know, I think the perspective here is a really big key to hold on to, that this is being written after all of those events with all of those things in the rearview mirror, looking to see, well, what's next? really tasty exposition by both of you like that this was a great episode I, I mean we wrap it up now right because what else is there to say after you two astutely you know parse that ver- that, that verse out I mean that was that was good I learned things nice so thanks for joining yeah. us today on on season two of the young adult podcast uh no yeah to to add to that um you know oh we're adding okay uh, yeah well mm-hmm. I, I have a, a few more things joel so uh, you know me man just no yeah two, so right? what sam said um first and second kings and first and second samuel were written either before the exile or right after and and so yeah the exile would have been kind of on everything's everybody's mind the way that COVID is with us and uh yeah uh, to highlight what sam said it was it was given as sort of a a perspective let's let's look back on our history now with everything that we know and then we talked about um uh, Jeremiah 29, like I said a couple of weeks ago, and if you remember in verses 13 and 14 of that, where uh, God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, and I will be found by you, and I will restore you. Um, so that was a promise Jeremiah made that we see now come to fruition after the exile with the people coming back. And so this is really meant as a reminder to the people that God has delivered, um, and that he, he will deliver again, and because he, he needs to, again, because they've started started to forget him again. If you read Ezra and Nehemiah, you'll see that and notice that. Um, and again, it's a promise for um, for all of his people. And so where it comes forward to us today, we see this really being fulfilled in the person of Jesus, because ultimately what you do see if you read the Bible over and over is we can't do this and we're not going to do this. We're never going to fully return to God. We're going to nev- never fully give give him our, our entire devotion the way that we should. Uh, and so that is why we need Jesus. And that is what Jesus does for us. And so that exchange happens through Jesus, 
and because of the work of Jesus, and that is why we need him. So, so this even this formula, if we were to try to use it as a prescription, is not going to work because we can't hold up our end of that deal. So that's another thing really to understand about it as well, that you can use it. These are all good things to do. Repentance is a good thing to do. Turning to the Lord is a good thing mm-hmm. to do. But to rely on your strength to do it is never going to work out for you. Yeah. You're never, you're never going to be able to pull that off. You know, John, I think there's a certain bit of irony in this passage that we tend to, to read it uh, in our Jesus Bible store on our coffee mugs as God is capricious or vengeance mm-hmm. or, you know, is out for vengeance. Um, but realistically, within the larger context of the chapter, the temple is being dedicated. And what we see when um, in verse 7, verse or 14, 14 yeah. sorry, yeah, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, right, this isn't just like a standalone out in the middle of nowhere, like things are bad, so you need to pray. This is after the temple has been dedicated, and Solomon stands up, makes a massive sacrifice, and prays to God, and, event, and basically is saying, uh, God, you know, always seek us, please God forgive us when we do the wrong things. So when you get to this point, and the Lord appears to Solomon, the Lord says to Solomon in the dream, I have heard your prayer, and I have cho- chosen this place for myself as a temple. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, thinking Elisha, or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among the people, if my people will humble themselves, right, there will still be forgiveness. So like you said, with the this pointing to the story of Jesus, that there is this, this loving, gracious God who is always seeking to hold on to us and envelop us in himself. This isn't the story of some capricious God who just is looking for wickedness and destruction among us it's a god who loves us immensely and says look you're going to turn away the writer of this knows you're going to turn away but that god is still god and that he still loves us immensely and that he will still wrap us up in himself and forgive us when we repent and turn back to god and seek right relationship with god yes yeah. yeah, that's the real tension with why we have to talk about it in the context that we're talking about it on this episode is when it gets stolen and used for civic reasons, for nationalistic reasons, not only is it being misused, it's taking away the power of what the verse really does apply to the believer. And Sam just said it mm-hmm. very succinctly and, 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 and beautifully that this, is, this verse is this beautiful sign of God's mercy. It's a beautiful reminder of our need for God on a daily basis, on an individual basis, as a community of faith basis, in that when it gets taken and, and misapplied and misused, we lose sense of what the real value of the verse is at our level through the lens of Jesus Christ. And so that's, that's to me, has always been the tension with it is that why wouldn't we want to use this verse when we use it properly? Because like John said, repentance, seeking the Lord, trusting the Lord, believing that deliverance is going to happen again and again and again because of his great abundant mercy for us. When, when, we, when we lose that power of that verse and use it for the wrong reasons, there's no power to the verse anymore. And that's a real shame for believers. And it's important to have these conversations and to remind people that the power in this verse is not for the American nation. It's not for the United States. It's not for any country outside of post-exile Israel, but for the believer to trust in God and to believe God's promises, to be faithful and true to who he is and the deliverance that he offers. It has unbelievable power and resource for us as we seek to understand God and to follow God. Right. So what it becomes is not this sort of promise that, oh, if if I just do all the right things, God will bless me. It's a promise that God comes through on his promises. And it's a, it's a reminder of that. And it does have a wider scope. We've actually been saying that every week, Joel, that 
when we when we misapply these, we actually miss the greater power that lies behind them when you interpret mm-hmm. them within their context. So I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're going to see this in a few weeks, uh, probably about the time this podcast comes out, I think is around the time of the National Day of Prayer. So uh, and then right after that's Memorial Day. So we'll see this used in that context of, you know, if we can just get America back to God, then things will start going right as if things were fantastic before. And if you read a history book, they weren't. Um, and what I want to get away from, I think we could say clearly, and I think we would all agree, um, you, you know, God has blessed America. Absolutely. Um, God has not blessed America because America has been particularly good. It's not because we've done all these things right or not. God has blessed America because God is good, not because we are good or bad or whatever. Um, and God will continue to bless America uh, to serve his purposes, and he will bless other nations of the world to serve his purposes as well. Um, what I want to what I want to steer into Joel and ask you about is like how then can we move away from that idea that like we hold this special place in God's heart because we're America, uh, and move more into a a relationship um, where we understand God's God's mission right now is is to be accomplished through the church, which is made up of people from every tribe, tongue, mm-hmm. and nation, and understand that, but yet still have a love for our country and yet still be patriotic and things like that. How do we hold those things in, in a better balance? Yeah. You know, the, the idea where it gets used so much is, is this verse is used as like a rallying cry back to American values rather than right. as you all have shared that it's a rallying cry back to reliance on God, you know, because if we use it as Americans and it's a rally cry back to, you know, what we need to be, what, what are we rallying back to 1776? You know, is this a rally back to the 1950s when, you know, prayer was in school and abortion wasn't legal, but we were crazy racists in the church as well? You know, I mean, what's a rally cry back right. to, you know? And so when people and and, and especially the church and, and, and those, those believers and followers of Jesus, when we can separate the two, I think we can see the not only the power of this verse and how it can be applied to glorifying Christ in our in our worship, glorifying Christ in our relationships. But then we can also see the beautiful power and responsibility we have as citizens of the United States. It is not, it is not wrong to be a Christian citizen of the United States, um, no matter what the world wants to make us think that. It, it's not. When it's, when it's done properly, we can be the salt and light that Jesus called us to be within our civic environments, within, within the spheres. And for me, both my military sphere and the medical chaplaincy that I do, both of those are with guidance from the, their federal guidance, you know? And so I, I work with one foot in the civic and spiritual spheres every day of my life, no matter what hat I'm wearing, no matter what job I'm doing that day. And there's, a, there's an amazing tension there, but it's a good one that allows us to be civic minded, to be thoughtful and prayerful in how we vote and how we interact with fellow citizens, how we interact with our elected officials. and so. We need to get away, though, from using this verse as, like I said, that rallying cry back to what America should be. Well, what exactly does that mean? Because I think you're going to hear it used at patriotic services. I think you're going to hear it at at election gatherings, you know, um, political gatherings where that's going to be used as well. And you're going to have some people that are like, yes, I can't wait to get back to how the 1950s were. And there's going to be some who's like, I can't wait to get back to the 1900s, you know I mean? 
Come on, Grover Cleveland. You know, I can't <laughs> wait to get back to the 1700s. There's going to be all these different variations of what what kind of America they're getting back to. And I think it's because God's not God is not calling us back to that America. God's calling us to be the best America that we are and can be right now. And that means overcoming injustices that are happening, overcoming systemic racism, overcoming, um, you know, whatever failure we can be, because as John just shared, we're pretty good at messing up as a country. We're pretty good at messing up as a population. And so rising above those and being, being led by Christians who are saying, I love America, but that does not outweigh my love for God and Christ. You know, and yeah. finding that sweet balance of what it is to glorify God in all the spheres of influence that we have, including the civic one as well. Russell Moore, he said, he said about this verse specifically, that when we pull it out and we use it in a civic context, for our civic context, we are no different than prosperity preachers. Yeah. We are no different than the prosperity mm-hmm. gospel of saying, I'm going to pull this verse. And if you do these things in Jesus name, you're going to be blessed with health and wealth. Right. And we, we, especially in the Baptist circles, are like, whoa, 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 we're going to stay away from that. But when we pull this out and we use it to, 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 to place that, that, that title on America that is not ours, that we are God's choice nation, we are his chosen people, we are no different, no better than prosperity preachers, prosperity gospel peddlers. And that's a dangerous place to be in. So finding the separation mm-hmm. And understanding that we can be very patriotic, very civic-minded, very pro-American, but not with the loss of being pro-gospel, pro-Jesus Christ, pro-honoring God in our words, our deeds, and our actions. Yeah, that is a that is a great point, and uh, I think actually, I've seen that article too. We'll link to it in our show notes. Uh, one thing I want to touch on that you said, Joel, that I really liked was um, talking about you know what era do we do we harken back to? And when you look at the history of the United States and some of the more powerful social movements that have happened, uh, the abolition of slavery, women's suffrage, civil rights, when we when we try to harken back to these heydays and a ignore the struggles that there have been for a lot of American citizens. That's not a great thing. Part B of that is it also ignores that those were all movements that started as church movements, that they mm-hmm. started because it was Christians who, who saw that, hey, there were, there were things going on here that are not right, and who started these mo- movements that became sort of the heartbeat of the nation. And so I think that can be something that the church can do now is I, I think we have kind of neglected leading in that way. And uh, when, we, when we try to harken back to these eras and forget about that, we forget the prophetic voice that the church has had for the nation. And we forget that uh, there, there were times when it wasn't great for everybody and the church noticed that and the church took the lead on, on changing that. And so I think it can be a call to that sort of a thing. But again, this is sort of a parallel call or just a descriptive call where we can we can see some things from it and see some good things, but it's not necessarily a, a prescriptive uh you know, if you do X, Y, and Z, then then you're not going to have any hurricanes or other disasters or, or anything like that. So, um, man, I, I, this has been a great discussion. I'm, I've really enjoyed having you on, Joel. Um, Sam, I don't know if you have anything you wanted to add. Uh, we're, I think, getting short on time, but uh, I think we can wrap it up here. Yeah, I mean, normally I have lots of things to say, but Joel, I really liked your point there at the end. And I think it almost speaks back to this uh, American exceptionalism. And if we had more time, I would ask if, you know, did your world perspective change being in Iraq in a very far 
part of the world and how that may have influenced the answer is yes absolutely that's a great question yeah the the short and the long is it it absolutely does no yeah tell tell us a little Um, bit more about that that's we we have some time (laughs) you know i worked at a coalition base so it was it was an american-run base but it was a partnership with many nations um when i arrived there there were about 16 nations that were there at the base with us and so you you definitely see the best and the worst in your country and you see the best and the worst in other countries, you know, and I worked with some incredible people and incredible chaplains. You know, I was deeply impacted by an Australian chaplain that I replaced. He was moving out as I was moving in in just the short crossover time that we had. Um, I could see the beauty of the work that he did from his, from his context, from his culture, from his country, you know, so it's, it's a, a it was a unique space to be in. And then of course, to be in a Muslim land, you know, mm. it makes me, it makes me more open um, and mindful and being respectful towards their beliefs. I was there during Ramadan. Um, and it was a beautiful time to see how they practice their faith and how they were strengthened by it. Um, it makes me appreciate my own faith more. It makes me appreciate my own country more. Um, I came back from Iraq and one of the first things I did is I ordered a pizza from my phone. Like, yeah, America's awesome. Don't get me wrong. America's <laughs> awesome. I get pizza from my phone, you know? That's right. And, but this idea of hearkening back to the good old days, even when I was young, I always wondered what the good old days were and like what bad could have been in there. Because John said it, you know, all these, these movements that Christians have helped lead the way, the churches helped lead the way, there were still faults there. Mm-hmm. Heck, we're part of a Baptist culture that came from a desire to maintain slavery, mm-hmm. you know? And so all of those things are still there. Um John and I, our pastor growing up, would always talk about the grace of Jesus and how Jesus loved us warts and all. And that was always, it's always stuck with me years and years and years later, because as much light as I bring into the world, I'm very capable to bring just as much darkness. And as Americans, as much light as we bring into the world with some of the great things about our country and our culture and our population, we bring just as much darkness or have the capacity to bring just as much darkness. And so when you work in a multicultural multi-faith environment like I get to in the military and I get to in, in my medical chaplaincy, it does open your mind to what else is out there, but it also, it also helps galvanize your faith. And I think that's the opportunity for Christians when we apply this verse specifically in a true sense of calling and deliverance from God, it galvanizes our faith rather than galvanizes our, our call as a civilian in our country, as a, as a member of the population. If that makes sense, I'm just throwing a bunch out there. I'm hoping something will stick for you guys. You, Sam will edit this up later as the resident, right? He does all the editing. <laughs> no, actually, we have a guy named Patrick. Uh, he, he's what? He great There's a too. third yeah. person on this team. Y'all <laughs> yes. are ridiculous. Patrick's awesome, dude. So <laughs> yeah, he does a great. No, job. that's a, that's hey, Patrick. <laughs> that's a, he's a Baylor grad too, by the way. Um, oh no, that's gosh. a great word though, man. And I will, I will, I will tack one word onto that. It's an incredible privilege to be an American as well. Uh, because when you travel internationally, I remember I went on a, a mission trip to Brazil a few years ago, and we were working with some churches there. And these churches, Brazilian churches, had been trying to get involved in their communities more. And the community was just kind of like, eh, whatever. And then when we came in, they were like, hey, we have some Americans that want to do some cultural exchanges. And I mean, we just went and like taught them how to play baseball or football. I mean, it was just a, it was a sports trip. But when when we got there and these churches began to, to kind of take us around as the token Americans, like it started opening doors for these churches because it was, it was something that the students that we were working with didn't get to see every in everyday life. And when they got to interact with us, I mean, it was almost like 
how we would be when we see athletes or movie stars or whatever. Like they were just like, oh, wow, like you're you're an American. Like, can we talk to you about your your country and, and what it's like growing up there and this, that and the other? And we were able to open doors for these churches so that when we left, these churches could con- continue ministering after we were gone. But that trip opened my eyes to the incredible privilege that we have as American citizens, um, but also as citizens of God's kingdom, uh, to utilize this gift we have of American citizenship to expand God's kingdom and to use it for ministry. And so it, it is a good thing. It is, it is a gift, but uh, I think it would be very inappropriate. Uh, to, as Joel said, as, as Sam has, has said, to take this verse out of context to say that God has a special favor with America. Um, that's not the way uh, that, that it works. God has blessed us, but it's because God is good, not because we are good. And we should take advantage of that uh, with our status as as Americans. So yeah, well, man, guys, I appreciate your time. This has been this has been awesome. Joel, I really appreciate you joining joining with us and telling us more about your story. We'll get this uh, all polished up and uh, I'll share it with Patrick. You can send let it to Patrick your, do his let yeah. Patrick do his magic. Absolutely, and uh, and then we'll send it to your parents and, and double our, our listenership. Absolutely, so, uh, and if you can have Patrick, I know you won't use the video, but if you can have him just kind of kind of chisel away, <laughs> kind of make my my little turkey neck down here on the Zoom. If I can get that taken away, I'll be really happy. Absolutely, we could do we could do that. You sure. all look good. Maybe it's the beards, but the coloring's there. I just look like a a a really fat albino on my side <laughs> you guys the coloring's good you've got headphones and oh know, man we've so got, good a, for we've got you. the whole works man we've got lighting and everything yeah i've got a couple of lights man do you have ring so, lights do you guys have ring lights i got a ring light john does john <laughs> so Sam, on, dude. john and i are in a fantasy football league and we have a thread and as soon as i'm done <laughs> i am texting this league that John and we talk all day, all year long. I'm texting that John has a ring light. Um, so just know, Sam, that he is going to be um, just mercifully Merci- tormented yeah. um, because John's mm. using a ring light for his Zoom meetings. Hey, what else is new? It's what massive. else is new? It's massive. I am the butt of jokes in that in that league. So that's right. Uh, well, but man, thanks so for having me. With it's us. been a joy. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll have to yeah. have you down in Huntsville sometime in in real life flesh and blood as well. Sure. So uh, maybe. <laughs> are the trash pandas playing yet? When do I'll come? They the trash start. They start in in May. Yes. Yeah, so okay. Yeah, I will be there for a trash pandas game. All right. We'll see you there, buddy. That's so, great. Awesome. Sam God and I will be America. There. God That's bless right. America. That's right. Sam. Uh, Sam and I will be back next week with a look at Romans chapter eight, verse twenty-eight. If you like this episode, please like it. Please share it. Please rate and review it. We want to give a thanks to Patrick Chester, our audio engineer, and also Patrick. to Christian. Ellen Christian, who de- designed our uh, logo for this uh, series. So uh, there's thank a you guys so much. Of the team? You guys have four <laughs> members on this podcast. It is awesome, dude. We, we do the work here, man. We do and you work, still have so. to bring in guests. <laughs> That's you, right. you don't need so us. Pretty high profile we guys. Had, you're you a captain, dude. We had to bring you in. So. Wow. I appreciate but, that. We had a dean come and yeah. talk, so we, we got the work. We've had Chad Poe. Chad Poe. Chad Poe. That's right. right, I'm I'm dragging this on. Poor Patrick's going to have to edit out like 90%. (laughs) So, so glad you guys were with us today. And thank you all so much for listening. Like I said, please share it and we'll see you next week. Patrick will go out with Lee Greenwood. I think that's the song that you should enter and exit on this episode with. Proud to be an American. 
mean, we have some uh, legal issues that we'd have to work around for that. But, you know, talking about this verse and, and, and all that, Lee Greenwood sang that song in the Tennessee Baptist Convention. Are you serious? I, in a session, Lee Greenwood came in. And first of all, I won't lie. On one hand, I was like, oh, my Lord, I was rolling it. On the other hand, when Lee Greenwood sings that song live, chills, baby. Chills up and down the spine. I so it was that. one of those where I was like, really? But then he started singing, and I was like, Lee Greenwood, you can sing whatever you want for the rest of the night. The angelic tones. <laughs>